I would like to welcome everyone to our second ATS section on genetics and genomics podcast focused on metabolomics and the airways. Today, we welcome Billy Boyle, the Chief Executive Officer of Awesome Medical. Awesome Medical is pioneering advancements in XL breath volatile collections, metabolomics analysis, and disease diagnostics. Uh, since being founded in 2004, Owlstone has received a number of awards, including Invention of the Year in 2017 for the development of the Receiva Breath Sampler, and most recently, uh, Best Emerging MedTech Company at the OBN Awards in 2020. So I'd like to welcome Billy. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. Uh, some of our ATS listeners today may or may not know, but XL Breath was first assessed back in the 1970s by Linus Pauling and is currently in clinical practice for airways diseases like asthma with the assessment of exhaled nitric oxide. Exhaled nitric oxide is not the only compound in exhaled breath, and in fact, there are hundreds to thousands of volatiles, volatile compounds that leave your body with every breath you take. The volatile organic compounds, or VOCs, can be generated through normal metabolism, but when metabolism becomes abnormal, such as in a disease state, altered levels of VOCs can be reproduced throughout the body and excreted into the breath. So Billy, aside from our sources of biomarkers like blood or urine that everyone would be really familiar with, uh, what makes breath VOCs a great option uh, as a source of biomarkers? So I think there's probably two components uh, to what one has to do with the nature of the sample collection itself. So obviously, you know, with breath, it's the ultimate in terms of a non-invasive uh, sample. You can collect it in unlimited volume, anytime, any place. So if you're thinking about, you know, a test and where patient compliance is particularly important, uh, breath as a sample matrix uh, is very attractive from that standpoint. You know, certainly compared to more invasive sample types such as blood. Uh, and in urine, you're obviously limited in the sense that you can't get uh, on-demand uh, samples. So I think there's just some advantages related to breath as a sample type. And then, as you said in your introduction, there are the chemicals on your breath, the volatile organic compounds, uh, which are present on the breath. I think these are very well suited for certain types of applications. What I think is quite exciting about breath at the moment is that it's still pretty early days, you know, so there's still a lot to be discovered in terms of what VOCs are there, what utility uh, they have. It obviously won't work for all applications, uh, but I think there's certainly uh, applications where uh, VOCs are likely to outperform other potential types of biomarker that can be found, you know, either within the blood or uh, in urine. That includes, you know, different respiratory diseases, but also diseases uh, where the, the VOCs are being produced uh, uh, systemically because you get the exchange from blood to the airway. So it's not just about respiratory disease, you get VOCs uh, on the breath associated with other diseases and conditions as well. So I think it's those two factors, you know, the nature of the you know, easy sample collection, uh, but then VOCs ultimately give you better uh, clinical sensitivity and specificity for certain applications. I completely agree with you. Uh, one limitation of the field of breath metabolomics has been the ability to consistently collect breath samples. And you alluded to that in your last, uh, last statement. Uh, to solve this, as I mentioned in the introduction, Alstone has designed and manufactured the Receiva breath sampler, uh, which has a large potential to be a point of care device. Uh, why was the Receiva such an innovative uh, product for breath collection? 
I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Sample collection is incredibly important. If you don't get the right sample, you're not getting the right answer, irrespective of how you analyze. And you mentioned earlier Linus Pauling and the research that was happening back in the early 70s. I think one of the observations that we made when we started to look at the breath fields was that um, you know, a lot of uh, what had been reported and published, it hadn't really been reproduced or validated in large uh, independent studies. Uh, and I think a lot of that we put down to, you know, this problem of how you get a good sample in the first instance. Because when we first uh, started the business, a lot of the chemical analysis that we were doing was, you know, in security and industrial applications. So we're able to apply a lot of that expertise and know-how uh, into breath analysis to try and tackle that sample collection problem. And it's kind of basic stuff like, you know, with a breath sample, you need to be very careful that you're not just capturing contamination from the ambient environment. So you need to reduce that background as much as possible. Uh, so we have a system called uh, the Casper uh, supply that allows you to do that, to scrub that uh, background environmental uh, metrics. Uh, and then when you're looking at the actual uh, breath collection itself, with our receiver device, what you can do with each exhalation is trap, store, enrich, and pre-concentrate the VOCs uh, from a select portion of breath. So if you want to get the end tidal portion, which then has a higher concentration of VOCs, you can select that fraction, uh, put it onto an absorbent cartridge, which stabilizes uh, the VOCs. So by doing this over a period of time, you get this big enrichment factor, which is really beneficial when you're looking for very low levels uh, of biomarkers, uh, of VOC biomarkers. Uh, and crucially, once the samples are stabilized as well. So if you want to then uh, send that sample for analysis in the lab, either in you know, a discovery workflow or a more targeted workflow, uh, you have high confidence that you're not getting degradation uh, of the sample. So I think a lot of what we try to do within uh, Receiver is solve a lot of those foundational problems that allow you to get a good sample. And once you do that, you can then start to uh, apply the technique uh, into different clinical studies. And I think for the first time, really see you know, which VUCs are modified in different diseases. Now with the development of the Receiver device, uh, Allison has been working towards the development of the breath biopsy. Mm. Uh, essentially, the breath biopsy is a uh, composition of identified breath VOCs, which covers both normal and disease states. Uh, so what, what have been the key priorities for developing breath biopsy for optimal biomarker detection? So when we look at the compounds on breath, we kind of classify them into either endogenous VOCs uh, or exogenous VOCs. And again, some of these can be ambient contamination, but other things that come into the body through dietary uh, uh, intake. But what you can also do is uh, deliver probes into the body as well. So fundamentally, we see two different strategies that you can deploy when you're starting to think about biomarkers on breath. So when we look at the endogenous biomarkers on breath, I think in simple terms, you know, with the overall breath biopsy platform, we're trying to capture as many compounds as possible. Uh, and in the analysis, I think it's very important that you're able to actually identify what the compounds are. I think the breath field for a long time has been plagued a little bit by black box type technologies like ENOS, where you can get differences in the pattern, but you don't know what it is and what the underpinning biology is. So for us, we uh, use high-end GC uh, Orbitraps. We've got a partnership with Thermo. 
uh, that allows us to identify what the specific BUCs uh, actually are. And I think that's, again, important in discovery workflows where, in simple terms, we're trying to uh, increase the number of BUCs that you can see in breath, but also decrease the variability there. So if you can do that, you have a better chance of finding uh, a biomarker if it exists in a particular study. So it's how you can build the best possible discovery tool, which can then be applied to, to those endogenous VUCs. Uh, and then as I mentioned, uh, exogenous VUCs, we think of this just as chemical noise, but actually there was a few interesting papers uh, that we saw there's a, a group at Innsbruck, Chris Mayhew's group, that uh, observed elevated levels of limiting on breath uh, in patients that have liver disease. Uh, and we had previously just written that off and said, well, that comes in through dietary intake, it's chemical noise, something that's there, you just want to ignore it. Uh, but actually, in that original study, they saw it was elevated in patients who had liver disease when they had a transplant that returned back to uh, baseline levels. Uh, and there are, you know, what we realize is actually you can think about deliberately introducing probe compounds into the body that target a particular pathway or a disease process. So because you understand the biology that you're targeting, you're putting a unique compound into the breath. Analytically, it's a bit more straightforward uh, to look for that specific uh, compound. Uh, so I think there are, we've built a lot of expertise over the last couple of years uh, around these evoke probes uh, that uh, we've been applying to liver disease, lung cancer, uh, respiratory disease as well. And I think this is a powerful complementary approach to your standard global analysis when you're thinking about looking at endogenous VUCs and how they may be modulated in different diseases or you know, relate to different inflammatory subtypes and respiratory disease. Yeah, that's, that's interesting for me because we we're working on publishing a study now in adolescence uh, with, with metabolic disease. And uh, we also detected limiting in, in the breath. Oh, did you? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, because it comes in through dietary intake. Right. Uh, and, you know, you, you get you know, everywhere, basically. So I, I'm not surprised uh, that you would see that. Just interesting to see it. We're, we're in a pre-diabetic uh, adolescent setting. So it's interesting to see it even at that level and, and make the associations potentially back to uh, the impact of the liver. That's fascinating. Yeah, we've been looking at later stage disease, but we'll not back into NICE uh, patients uh, as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of new science over the next few years, building on you know some of these evoke probes, these exogenous VUC probes. So as more and more studies contribute to the development of the breath biopsy, uh, where do you see the breath biopsy in the next 10 years? Fundamentally, it's about you know, clinical application and bringing benefit to patients. You know, when we set up Alston Medical, our company mission is to try and save 100,000 lives. We uh, are trying to develop the technology to apply it to problems such as the early detection of lung cancer, where we know survival chances are 10 times better, treatment costs are 10 times lower if you pick it up at uh, the earliest stages. So I think for us, what we're trying to do is, um, you know, identify problems like early detection of lung cancer, where we can, you know, run large scale clinical studies 
um, you know, identify and validate biomarkers in these large studies. Because again, I think the, the field for a long time has been saying, yes, there's BBCs in lung cancer, but again, it's not being reproduced and it's not being validated in large uh, studies. So I think we're picking a few applications where we're really trying to you know, drive high quality uh, uh, studies and trials there. But also as well, like, because I think we've addressed some of these core technology challenges around how you get a good sample, how you, you know, maximize the amount of BCs that you can see on breath. And we want to try and make that as broadly available to the whole research community. So in academic research, pharma research as well. So, you know, they obviously have, you know, clinical applications of interest for them. And I think before have had the challenge of saying, well, you know, what clinical utility do VUCs have? So now I think, you know, these research groups can go and uh, answer that question properly uh, for the first time. And what we would hope to see there is that, you know, with more of those studies coming through, breath moves from a bit of a curiosity um, to something that's a lot more mainstream, where again, you have well-validated biomarkers being used in these uh, routine clinical applications, you know, similar to you know, urine and blood-based uh, analysis. And I think you touched early that you know, there's a couple of examples you know, where there is you know, breath-based tests at the moment, the xeal nitric oxide, uh, some of the, the stable isotope tests and digestive health, things like hydrogen and methane. So there's not that many examples of it. So for us, we see the kind of key challenges, you know, how do you identify these robust biomarkers in the first instance? Yeah, I agree. You could look through the literature and there's a lot of examples uh, in the literature, but it hasn't made that step over to the, the clinical field. Exactly. And when we first started looking at breath, because we had approached it from the sensor side of things, you know, we developed a sensor technology that you can functionalize in software to look for target compounds. So when you're thinking about you know, security applications, looking at toxic gases, you know what you're looking for. You just functionalize it in the chip. We thought, fantastic, this is going to be easy in diagnostic applications. We'll go to the literature, get the VUCs for lung cancer, we'll have a test. But then we realized that actually it's not that straightforward. You don't have, you know, one, two or three VOCs that you know, you, you know beyond shadow of diet work for lung cancer. So that's why we had to take a bit of a step back and build up such a robust discovery workflow with our uh, GC Orbit traps and our Omni assay. Now, since this is a podcast specific to the American Thoracic Society, um, and we've talked a little bit here about lung cancer, uh, can you inform us on the efforts that have been made uh, that's far related to the breath biopsy and, and airways diseases like asthma phenotypes or COPD? Yeah, so I think we see early detection precision medicine as the two you know, big buckets of applications. And within precision medicine, you, know, you see things like liquid biopsy have made very good headway in precision oncology. So selection of the right therapies for patients there. But you know, there's still a big problem in respiratory disease of how do you better match patients to the right uh, therapy. So I think when you look at uh, where VUCs are produced, some are produced locally within the airways, uh, but others originate from the blood. So if you're thinking about asthma, COPD, uh, I think there's a, a, a lot of potential there to uh, think about breath and VUCs to help identify different inflammatory subtypes to better steer. Uh, therapy choice. So a lot of the trials that we've been running on behalf of you know, academic research partners, collaborators, and pharma partners have tend to be uh, focused around that type of application. 
and then we've driven the lung cancer problem ourselves. Now, we all know that asthma and COPD are not the only respiratory diseases that are relevant for the application to receive a device. Mm. Uh, are there any other studies that, or large clinical trials you can um, talk to us about that are related to the res different respiratory diseases? We, we get a lot of interest in the IPF as well. So I think coming through from the pharma partners, IPF tends to be a big topic of discussion uh, these days. Um, you know, because we uh, can let, we can provide the hardware let partners do their own discovery work or they can run discovery services with us as well. We've, we've obviously had a lot of interest around COVID uh, as well. So I think, you know, we, when we initially, there's been a lot of PR and stuff in the press about COVID breath tests. And again, like I treat a lot of claims, you know, I'm very skeptical of a lot of what gets said within the breath field. And if you look there, there's VOCs, but also you can think about breath as a sample matrix and looking at the aerosols and respiratory droplets there. So I think the, the view that we have is that VOCs uh, may be sensitive, but are unlikely to be specific uh, when you think about uh, COVID and infection there. And that may be okay for certain types of uh, applications, but we tend to focus more on the respiratory droplet aerosol side of things where you collect uh, uh, the aerosols from the breath sample, and then you do standard PCR workflows. And we just published the paper uh, on that, uh, where in the later stages of COVID infection, you actually don't have a lot uh, of virus on aerosol, which kind of makes sense and fits with um, you know, things like self-isolation. So I think you know, we've been getting more and more interest there. And with long COVID, uh, as well, I think we'll also start to see more and more studies where you know people are looking at breath and VUCs uh, as part of the research uh, into long uh, COVID. Uh, also doing work looking at uh, allergen exposures and asthmatic patients as well. I think what's been really interesting about making the breath biopsy technology available to the you know the broad research community is that you know the researchers come forward with you know a very clear view of what the clinical problem is that they're trying to solve. And what we try to do is provide the best technology tools to say, you know, is there a useful biomarker or not in as a, a cost-effective and rapid way as possible for those researchers? It's a perfect segue into my, my next question. Uh, can, anyone, can anyone in a clinical or research setting uh, initiate research with Owlstone? Uh, can you yep. mention how, it, how, it, how does it work? Uh, how can someone on the on listen to podcast today you know, initiate their research uh, with Alston? Yeah, no, abs absolutely. I think what we've tried to do is make it as open and accessible as possible. We, we tend to find that um, some researchers want to uh, essentially get the, you know, the breath collection hardware, analytical equipment, do their own research so we can support uh, that as well. You know, we sell the instrumentation uh, for that. Um, but, you know, what I think we've had a lot of interest in both from academic uh, customers and partners and biopharma as well is that we've invested very heavily in the global BC analysis capability with the GC Orbitraps and Omni assay. And um, so we uh, can say to partners this, if you want to run a study, rather than you, you know, buying all your equipment and setting up the lab and stuff like that, you can just process the samples in our lab 
uh, on a, 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 you know, the cost of that sample only. So it's a very cost effective way for researchers to get high quality data. And sometimes you need that in order to put in a grant submission to try and unlock a bigger uh, part of research funding. So I think because we came from an academic research environment, we're very aware of you know, funding challenges and having to get good data for grant applications and stuff like that. So we tried to structure uh, things in such a way that you know, our collaborators and partners can access that uh, as kind of cheaply and quickly as possible, basically. So I have one last question for Billy uh, before we end our podcast today. Uh, will there be a day that I walk into my doctor's office and along with the blood and urine lab, I will have my breath plucked too? Short answer is yes. That's certainly what we hope will be the case. I think, you know, again, the, the breath feels, uh, I think there's been a lot of, you know, claims made over the years. You know, the data has to back it up fundamentally. I think, you know, we need to design, you know, good studies, uh, you know, run those studies effectively, get high quality data. And that will demonstrate what utility VUCs and breath has in different applications. And again, it will work for some things and not, uh, not other things. And that's what's very exciting for me uh, at the moment. I think because we finally addressed some of those core basic technology challenges, like getting a good sample, you know, maximize the number of compounds that you can see. I think we can make those types of discoveries uh, for the first time now. And if we can do that, I think actually the translation through to routine use is actually relatively straightforward. You know, the collection devices that we have, the analytical tools that we have are already there. You just need to know what biomarker you're targeting. And just to give you one example, you know, we, we see things like lung cancer is you know, one of the hardest problems. Uh, basically, but the payoff from the standpoint of the patient and the survival impact is you know, so significant, it's worth taking uh, the risk. Um, yeah, we certainly have already seen in the work that we've done in liver disease, really good evidence, you know, with you know, particularly using the voc probes, uh, that you, know, you can see a clear signal. Uh, and in respiratory disease, airways disease, again, there's clear biological mechanisms for why you have production and modification of the VACs there. So those are things which I think are you know, pretty much certain to work. It's just a question of you know, time and you know, running the right studies. Uh, and we recently ourselves just announced uh, the launch of a, a breath test and digestive health with COVID, one of the things that we saw was that, you know, because patients can't come to a clinic anymore for tests, there's a need to, you know, be able to do tests in a more distributed fashion. Breath is very attractive from that standpoint. Uh, so we have a partnership here in the UK. So patients who uh, have digestive health issues, things like SIBO, carbohydrate malabsorption issues, uh, they can do a home-based um, sample collection. Sample comes back to the lab for analysis, and then the clinician can make a recommendation on rifaximin or you know, whatever the case uh, may be. So I think there, are, you know, we have tests which are you know being used routinely today, uh, and I think if we and the broader research community can really you know nail down that question of what are the other valuable VUC biomarkers that are then I think it's just a matter of time before we have more uh, tests and people can go into the doctor and do a breath test and not necessarily have to get an injection, uh, uh, blood draw. I agree. I think uh, a lot of people be willing to just breathe into a device and then get a 
a vein puncture. So indeed, indeed, and I think as well things like you know comparing it to induced sputum and stuff like that. There's just a lot of advantages in terms of you know the, what it means for the patient as well as high powerful DUCs as a class of biomarker are. I agree. Well, I would like to thank Billy for his time and willingness to participate in the ATS section on genetics and genomics podcast series focused on metabolomics and the airways. Uh, since I also use the Receiva device for my own research, I would like to thank Billy and all those involved who have contributed the effort to developing these technologies, which give researchers like myself the ability to advance our knowledge and understanding of complex diseases. Thanks. Thanks for your time, Billy. Thanks a lot, Andrew.